ritual sacrifice of animals and even humans can be traced back within ancient Near Eastern civilizations, particularly ancient Egypt, as far back as 4400 BC. Religious forms of sacrifice were at the heart of these early civilizations and understood as a way to appease and or maintain favor with a deity. These practices, as well as certain phrases associated with sacrifice in Hebrew scripture, actually predate the Torah and Israel itself. One such phrase is found in Exodus 29:25, which describes the practice of burning a sacrifice on the altar as a pleasing aroma to God. This same phrase is found in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which contains portions dated as early as 2100 BC. This epic poem from ancient Mesopotamia is regarded as the earliest surviving piece of written world literature to exist. The majority of modern biblical scholars believe that the Torah reached its final form in the post-exilic period, post-538 BC, and was most likely a product of the Babylonian captivity based on earlier written and oral traditions. That places the Epic of Gilgamesh as predating the Torah by nearly 1,500 years. Nearly every ancient Near Eastern culture participated in some form of ritual sacrifice. With this understanding and the well-documented history of Babylon, which includes idol worship as well as a sacrificial system resembling many aspects of that of Israel's, it's likely that submerged in a pagan ritualistic culture for 70 years may well have influenced Israel's future religious practice. It seems that scripture itself voices a swift objection to idolatry after the return from exile, as well as a mounting problem among the Israelites themselves to remain faithful to Yahweh alone and resist the temptations to worship the gods of their neighbors. This can be seen in passages such as Leviticus 17, where the Lord tells Moses to speak to the people of Israel and tell them, this is what I command regarding sacrifices. Quote, any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside the camp and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, that they may bring them into the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. The priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting and offer up the fat in smoke as a soothing aroma to the Lord. They shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons, which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. Leviticus 17, 3-7 It appears that God is curbing Israel's inclination to shed blood for ritualistic purposes, a common practice in the ancient Near East. The writer here makes a particular reference to God's command to stop the practice of sacrifice to the goat demons while adding a reference to harlotry. There were numerous gods depicted as having beastly forms with horns in the ancient Near East, and the metaphor used throughout the Old Testament for Israel's idolatry and unfaithfulness to Yahweh is adultery. The idea that God would accommodate Israel's desire of sacrifice while also using it to reveal his superiority over any neighboring gods is not at all absent within the Hebrew text. 
In a similar way, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we learn that the elders of Israel went before the prophet Samuel and requested that a king would reign over Israel. God's desire was that the prophets would govern his people, and so Samuel was displeased. When Samuel goes before the Lord, God tells him to give the people what they desire. It wasn't what God intended for his people. Nevertheless, God accommodated Israel's request for a king, even though it would turn out to have destructive consequences. Israel's desire to be like all other nations was a common pitfall within their own history. Notice, though, God's original plan for Israel never changes, even though he accommodates their desire to mirror other nations. Origen, one of the early church fathers, believed that while the Old Testament contains divine revelation, it also contains human misunderstanding. For Origen, this in no way limited divine truth or contradicted God's inspiration of Scripture. Origen writes this in regard to Israel's sacrificial system. Quote, since the Jews loved sacrifices, being accustomed to them in Egypt as the golden calf in the desert gives witness, God permits them to offer them to himself so as to curb their disordered tendency to polytheism and to turn them away from sacrificing to idols. End of quote. Origen didn't believe that a sacrificial system was God's original idea. Origen believed God met them where they were at in their darkened understanding of the Creator. The story of Cain and Abel illustrates this. We are told both brothers offer a sacrifice to God. One sacrifice God accepts while the other he does not. What's missing in this story is God requiring or even asking for a sacrifice to begin with. Without implanting a concept of sacrifice, a concept that develops much later, all we have is Cain and Abel participating in a practice as old as civilization itself. One could perhaps assume that their parents often told the story of a time when they lived in a paradise called Eden, where God walked with them in the cool of the day, a time when they didn't have to labor for food, only to find themselves removed from Eden for eating food that belonged to God alone, or taking that which was His. It could be that sacrifice or offering food to the gods was in the ancient mind a way to appease them or possibly give back what was taken to maintain good status or even re-enter the paradise lost by their parents. Genesis chapter 15 is where we have the earliest account in the Torah of God speaking about an animal sacrifice. God tells Abram his offspring will be numerous as the stars and he will give him a land to possess. We are told Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. But then Abram questions God. How am I to know that I shall possess it? In other words, what are you going to do in the natural to assure me? God accommodates Abram's request and uses the sacrificial system that Abram would have been accustomed to as a covenant. Remember, Abram was raised in a pagan household from Ur of the Chaldeans. It was not God who required this sacrifice, but it was God who accommodated it. This sheds light on the story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. The sacrifice of the firstborn was a common practice in early Near Eastern civilizations. Perhaps this is why Abraham doesn't even lose sleep over the thought of killing his own son. Only this God reveals to Abraham that he is not at all like the gods of the pagan nations he was accustomed to. This God doesn't require a sacrifice. He provides it. He is slowly revealing himself holy or set apart from the myths of early civilization. 
It's easy to glance over passages in the Old Testament dealing with child sacrifices to Molech and food offered to goat demons because we assert that it was God who started the sacrificial system and the other nations who corrupted it. The problem with that assumption is that even within the Hebrew Scripture itself, we find evidence of later canonical traditions conversing and even challenging earlier traditions on a variety of subjects, one of those dealing with sacrifice. Quote, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Psalm 50, 7-15 God, speaking through the psalmist, indicates that he is not at all interested in the sacrifices they are bringing. What God wants is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This type of language can be found all throughout the writings of the prophets, declaring that what God wants is for his people to do justice and walk in kindness. Amos 5, 21-24, Jeremiah 6, 20, and Micah 6, 6-8. In a similar passage, the Lord declares through the prophet Isaiah, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Isaiah 1, 11-12 the Spirit through the prophet Jeremiah even goes as far as suggesting that he never gave commands concerning sacrifices, only that they obey his voice and walk in his counsel. Quote, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them, Obey my voice and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backwards and not forward. Jeremiah seven twenty one through 24 There are multiple references in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament which declare that mercy and obedience are what God wants, not sacrifice. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus declares, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Within the community of Israel, which was centered around the sacrificial system, only those who brought sacrifices regularly were deemed righteous. Those afflicted and oppressed due to illness or poverty were deemed sinners. This verse in the Greek can be literally translated as, Mercy is what I want, not a ceremonial victim. 
The animals weren't the only victims within the sacrificial system. The law coupled with the sacrificial system became a dividing wall of hostility used to decide who's in and who's out. Jesus abolished the laws and ordinances tearing down the dividing wall, creating in himself one new man in place of the two. Ephesians 2, 13-18. The writer of Hebrews says this, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Hebrews 10, 1, 4 through 9, and verse 11. Not only had God taken no pleasure in their sacrifices, he never desired them, he only accommodated them. So why sacrifice? What is all the blood about? Was God the one who needed blood to enable him to forgive? Look what the writer of Hebrews says concerning blood. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 9, 13-14 Though sacrifice was a system intended to purify the flesh of the people, it ultimately fell short of purifying the conscience of the worshiper. The blood served as a means of cleansing the conscience in a way that helped to remove their guilt. The blood of animals ultimately failed since these rituals served as a reminder of their sin, having to repeat them every year. This is why the writer says the blood or the life of Jesus is far superior to that of animals in that once and for all he has offered himself to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It was our conscience which needed cleansed from the guilt and shame produced by dead works or sin so that we could carry out the will of God. Sin left Adam with a sense of alienation from God in his own mind, Colossians 1.21. We see this as early as Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When they heard the footsteps of God in the garden, they now hid from the presence of God they formerly ran towards. In Adam's disobedience, God ran toward Adam. It was Adam who hid from God. Adam tried covering with fig leaves, but God provided garments of skin to cover their shame. God didn't need a sacrifice to approach Adam. Adam needed a sacrifice to alleviate his fear and shame to provide confidence to come out from among the trees and approach the living God once again. Hebrew scripture is filled with stories of God stooping down to reveal himself within the darkened understanding of man, progressively moving us towards the fullest revelation unveiled in the face of Jesus. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. These are the people God dispersed over the face of the earth at Babel in Genesis 11, 1-9. He would use Abraham's obedience to bless all the nations of the earth, entering into their darkness and meeting them where they were. God would enter into the darkness of ancient civilization centered around the ritual sacrifice of animals and even children, leading his people on a trajectory that will eventually end the sacrificial system altogether. Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, who can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing, came to earth forgiving sin without any need of sacrifice or blood. According to the law, life is in the blood. Blood requires a living vessel. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin and make atonement since the blood still required a body, a high priest capable of entering the presence of God. Which is why Jesus said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired nor taken pleasure in, but a body you have prepared for me, a resurrected, indestructible body of flesh that is filled with the life of the Spirit. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Hebrews 8, 3-4 In other words, if Jesus had remained on earth, the law itself would have prohibited him from offering sacrifices to God. The law of Moses disqualifies Jesus from priestly service in the sacrificial system since he did not descend from the lineage of Aaron, found in Numbers 18, 1-8. This law is found in Numbers 18, 1-8. The writer of Hebrews is drawing a clear distinction between the priestly requirements of the law and Jesus. Hebrews 7, 13 and 14 says this, For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Jesus descends from the lineage of a priesthood that precedes and ranks above that of Aaron. The life of the flesh is in the blood, but atonement requires the life of the Spirit in a body prepared for the Son of Man. A living sacrifice, not a dead one which is why on the Day of Atonement, the goat that bore and carried away the sins of the people in its body was the only goat in the sacrificial system required to live and was released into freedom. Selah.